Chapter 21 Into the Goblin's Lair As Walter strode forward to confront the dragon, and, I was certain, his own grisly death, Mama peeked around the corner of the canyon wall to keep an eye on her boy. I couldn't watch. I could barely summon enough courage to keep my ears unplugged. What happened next was a story I heard but did not see. Walter wasn't out of sight more than two seconds before the dragon let loose a horrific roar of rage, as if my brother were the one personally responsible for its imprisonment in this canyon. I was certain this battle cry would be followed momentarily by Walter's own shrieks of disemboweled agony. It wasn't. Instead, Walter raised his own voice, rebuffing the dragon's roar with a stern command. Get back, he shouted, or you'll be sorry. To my astonishment, the dragon fell silent. Its chains clanked and rattled, which meant it was still on the move. But if Walter was an imminent meal in the making, he was being awfully quiet about it. I'm not here to hurt you, Walter explained, sounding more distant than before. None of us are. I want to help you. The dragon responded with another throaty cry, but this time its protest was brief and unconvincing. Oh, yes, Walter. Go, Walter, whispered Mama, cheering him on like a hopeful spectator whose paycheck was riding on a boxing match. A loud clang reverberated between the canyon's high walls, then a second and third. These were followed by a hollow metallic clunk and I sensed that something heavy had fallen to the ground. The dragon emitted another great roar, shaking the canyon walls and rattling the stones at our feet. But this wasn't a cry of aggression or fury. It was lighter, happier, like when a dog is barking at the arrival of a friend rather than an intruder. This was a victory trumpet. Mama looked prouder than a prize-winning peacock, as she turned to me and Pip and exclaimed, He did it! Walter did it! I almost asked, Did what? Before remembering that Walter's mission hadn't been to slay a dragon, but to free one. He must have knocked loose the pin holding the dragon's chain in place around the rock. That was the heavy thud I had heard. I risked a glance around the corner. What I saw astounded me. Looking like a tin soldier standing in front of a full-grown crocodile, Walter stared up at the serpent. The serpent stared back, but only for a moment. It then lifted its face and pointed its nostrils skyward, sucking in deep, full breaths. It spread its wings and, like a bird who has forgotten how to fly, attempted a few timid flaps. Its feet hovered above the ground, and it beat its wings again, this time with renewed confidence. Up into the air it rose, its chain still dangling from the shackle on its leg. Higher it went and faster, until it was flying freely. It circled and careened and cartwheeled with all the joy of a foal released from its stall. At the conclusion of its aerial acrobatics routine, the dragon performed a final barrel roll above us then chose its heading and soared away. Walter! Mama cried once the dragon had gone. She sprinted toward him and scooped him up in her arms, 
Oh, my brave boy, that was incredible. He tried to act like it was no great shakes to stare down a dragon, but there was no mistaking the blush of pride in his cheeks. While I was relieved to know I wouldn't become dinner that day, something else also crept up inside me. Something much more familiar. Envy. Once again, Walter was the celebrated hero, and I the sniveling coward. It was his pluck and determination and faith that had brought us to the isle, and now he had delivered us unscathed past the claws of a dragon. Just once, why couldn't he get eaten? Were you scared? Pip asked, staring wide-eyed up at his white knight of a brother. Walter ruffled Pip's hair and answered, If I were, do you think I'd be standing here? Okay, well, a little maybe, but I didn't let the dragon see that. I tuned out the rest of Walter's victory celebration. Soon we were on our way again. Big Brother had seen us safely past the halfway point, but there was still the small matter of a maze of confounding between us and the cake-thieving goblin. Who knew how much time remained until we fulfilled our quest? Either the winding path began sloping gently upward, or else the gorge's sheer walls themselves were dropping. It was tough to tell for certain. Whatever the case, when we finally exited the canyon's west end, we did so onto a wide spit of rock which jutted out high over the lake. Just like the Canyon of Fear, this magnificent promontory simply hadn't existed during our previous explorations of the isle. In life, Mama had widened the dimensions of our imaginations. In death, it seemed she had the power to widen the dimensions of reality itself. Our final obstacle wasn't difficult to find. A lofty wall of uniform bricks spanned the promontory's full width, blocking our way forward. Situated in the wall's exact center, a square opening provided the sole entrance into the labyrinth which lay beyond. In front of this doorway sat a small well, cooling with clear water, a welcome sight for our thirsting bodies. Above the well was a narrow, rectangular sign, supported on either end by long poles that disappeared down into the water. The sign's painted white letters read, Maze of Confounding. Beside the words, a white arrow pointed straight ahead. Take a drink while I read the last clue, said Mama. She didn't have to tell us twice. Cold, delicious water was already sliding across my tongue and down my throat as she read, The maze of confounding will baffle and vex, befuddle and muddle, perturb and perplex. The one who will solve it first stops and reflects. No point wasting any time, said Walter, in his taking charge sort of voice. Let's get to it. So get to it we did. On the other side of the square doorway, we found ourselves in a long corridor with towering walls on either side. As we looked from one end of the interior wall to the other, we located a half-dozen gaps, each the beginning of another path which led deeper into the maze. Although I couldn't yet be sure, I had the sinking feeling those splinters would lead to plenty more of their own false tracks and dead ends. 
unless we wanted to be trapped in that maze all day, or longer, we would require a healthy dose of luck. Too bad we were Dutch-German, not Irish. In the afternoon heat, we wandered down path after path, eventually running each time into a dead end, often literally, as some paths ended in a deadly drop to the lake hundreds of feet below. We soon became disoriented, unsure where we were or how we might find our way back to the starting point. I was quite certain we had begun revisiting old paths, but with golden boy Walter leading the way, I was hesitant to voice my suspicions. The minutes dragged into hours, at least they felt like hours, even though the day curiously never seemed to grow any older. Eventually, my patience wore thin. When I noticed Pip absent-mindedly scraping a long white streak along the wall with a stone he had picked up, a bright idea came to me. We can mark our paths, I exclaimed, as we returned to a feeder corridor from yet another dead end. Pip, give me that rock for a minute. My baby brother was too tired to protest. He handed me the stone, and with it, I scratched an arrow pointing the direction we had just come. Then, over the arrow, I scratched a large X. Now we won't keep going down the same paths again and again, I explained. Sooner or later, we'll have to come to the end. Perhaps this was the kind of reflecting Gurgen had been talking about? Thinking through the confusion to devise a strategy that might simplify the maze? Mama was the only one of our traveling party who seemed at all excited about my idea. Pip was too hungry and Walter too upstaged to offer more than a grunt of unenthusiastic acceptance. I didn't care. I diligently marked each used and failed path we took, narrowing down our remaining options as we went. I knew my system would work. Until it didn't. Some time later, we found ourselves back at the maze's entrance. Every path leading away from that main corridor, and every subsequent inner path, had received the mark of the dead-end X. Yet we had come no further to reaching our goal. Great idea, Peter, Walter mumbled. We must have missed something further in, and now it'll be even more confusing with your dumb marks all over the place. It was a good idea, Mama whispered to me, but even she sounded unconvinced. Since we are back at the entrance, we should take another drink from the well and think over the riddle. Perhaps Gurgen was cleverer than I thought and has fooled us into a dead-end journey. As I drank from the well, I looked up at the sign. Maze of Confounding. An arrow pointing upward, indicating the maze ahead. Or was it? What if the real maze is up there? I suggested, pointing to the top of the wall. Great idea, mocked Walter. I'll just grow twenty feet and boost you up. It did sound ridiculous, but I wasn't ready to back down yet. I pointed to the sign and said, The arrow points up. Maybe it doesn't mean ahead. Maybe it actually means up. Walter rolled his eyes, but Mama was intrigued by the idea. How could we climb up there? 
I thought back to the last line of Gurgen's riddle. The one who will solve it first stops and reflects. Earlier, I had assumed he meant we had to think hard about a clever solution. But maybe he was using the word reflect in a different way? As I thought, I looked down to scoop up another handful of well water. And the answer became as clear as the afternoon sky. It's a ladder! I shouted, grabbing the two posts that held up the sign. Turns out, all we needed to do was reflect in the water itself. Walter, Pip, and Mama crowded around to peer into the pool. Sure enough, when the ripples ceased and its surface was calm, it was easy to recognize that the signpost was actually the top of a long ladder, most of which lay submerged in the well. Great job, cried Mama, hugging me proudly to her side. My clever boy. Begrudgingly, Walter helped me hoist it up. The wood was heavy with water, but still sturdy and strong, as if it hadn't been in the pool too terribly long. We struggled to lean it against the high wall, but in the end, we had a way to the top. Walter, not to be outdone, clambered up it first. No problem, he shouted down when he stood again on solid stone. The wall is plenty wide for us to walk on. Come on. I went up next, my baby brother, with Mama close on his heels, begging him to slow down, scampered eagerly after me. A couple minutes later, all four of us were staring out at a whole new maze. Up here, there was a second sign. Beside a downward-pointing arrow were the words, Impossible Labyrinth. That cleared up a thing or two. Okay. Mama said with a sigh. Almost there. I can practically smell the cakes. I had thought to slip the marking stone into my pocket before climbing up the ladder. It became useful again in branding the dead-end paths, so that we wouldn't find ourselves retreading the same ground. Although the walls were wide and level, Mama took no chances with the easily distracted Pip, not when there were twenty-foot drops on either side of us. Despite his loud protests, she clutched him close to her chest as we navigated our way from the east end of the maze to the west. At one point, when Walter and I were too far ahead to be heard, my big brother muttered, Sorry I made fun of you, about the maze being on top of the wall. It was a good idea. I shrugged coolly and said, It's okay. Besides, it did seem a little crazy, even when I said it. And that was the end of it. But I did decide then, that maybe I was glad Walter wasn't eaten by the dragon after all. It took us another half hour of navigation, but we finally found ourselves on top of the maze's high western wall. From here, our unnaturally long afternoon's destination was visible. On the furthest point of the promontory stood a beehive-shaped mound of rock. Near its base, a dark mouth opened toward us. Gurgen's Cave. Fortunately, we didn't have to go back for our ladder. A second one was already there, propped against the outer wall of the labyrinth. We climbed down and approached the cavern cautiously, 
unsure what a goblin might do when he realized he was trapped with no escape. I half expected him to come flying out at us like a rabid raccoon, ready to fight with savage tooth and nail. Gathered around the cave's entrance, we peered inside and down a short, poorly lit corridor. The cavern at its far end glowed with a dim, orange light, which caused the shadows within to dance in their places. Ready? Mama whispered. Ready, Walter replied confidently. Boldly, we strode through the passageway and into a torch-lit chamber the size of Asphodel's great room. In the middle of that cavern, bare but for a single table strewn with assorted cakes, stood Gurgen the goblin. With fork in hand and bib tied neatly around his neck, he hovered over the cakes, ready to pounce upon them. Because he was facing the cave's rear wall, Gurgen was oblivious to our entrance. Using the goblin's greedy snickers to cover his footsteps, Walter marched straight up behind him, reached down, and seized Gurgen by the scruff of his neck. The goblin squeaked with surprise. His arms and limbs flailed frantically as Walter hoisted the leathery creature in front of himself. Gurgen was a small, ugly thing. His eyes were black and so tiny it was a wonder he could see at all. A long, tubular nose drooped down over his fat lips. These he had curled into a snarl, revealing his jagged teeth and a sickly green tongue. He had very little by way of hair or ears, but very much of finger and toenails. The only clothing he wore was a dirty smock, tied around his waist with a ratty leather cord, and an ancient pair of sandals strapped to his grimy feet. Put me down this instant, Gergen demanded in a mousy voice. Walter laughed at the pathetic creature squirming for freedom. You've been causing all this trouble for us, but you're so tiny. It was true. If the goblin had stood back to back with Pip, he would have come no higher than my little brother's shoulders. Gergen growled at Walter. He apparently didn't appreciate comments about his stature. What'll we do with him, Mama? Walter asked, as Gergen scratched at and tried to bite his arm. Before Mama could answer, Gergen raised a grimy hand and snapped his fingers. At once, every cake on the table behind him vanished. You'll never get them now, the little goblin gloated. You can't beat me, boy. I've beaten plenty bigger than you, threatened Walter, so you'd better bring him back. Mama's voice echoed throughout the chamber. With towering authority, she ordered, Enough of this, you two. Walter, put him down. Walter tried to protest, but Mama, do as I say, she snapped, and he fell silent. Walter gave Gergen a final sneer, then set him back on his chair. In turn, the goblin glowered at Walter as he smoothed his wrinkled smock. Mama cleared her throat, and both gave her their attention. She addressed my brother first, saying, Walter, you use intimidation far too often, especially with those who are smaller than you. 
My mouth hung agape. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Walter was finally receiving the verbal drubbing Mama had been too kind to dish out in life. Years of long-awaited vindication were mine at last. It cannot happen any more, she continued. Do you understand? Walter nodded dumbly. Good. As for you, Gergen. He stared up at Mama with watery black eyes. For someone whose home he had robbed earlier that afternoon, she held a strange command over him. How would you like to come to my cottage and share those cakes with us? My brothers and I reacted as if Mama had sent a high-voltage jolt of electricity coursing through our bodies. How could she invite this awful creature into her home, into our lives and our special time with her? Gergen looked as surprised as we were. His mouth mimicked that of a beached fish as he fumbled for a response. Mama went on, I cannot speak for you, but to me, that sounds better than eating alone. What do you say? A slow but gladsome smile spread across the goblin's lips from one stubby ear to the other. Based on the happy tears glistening in his eyes, I think it had been quite a long time since anyone had shared a feast with poor Gergen, or offered him any company at all. He responded to Mama's invitation not with words, but by snapping his fingers again. Quick as you could blink, all the cakes had returned. Oh, thank you, thank you, Gergen, Mama exclaimed, clapping her hands delightedly. And I am sorry for the troubles we have had together. I never intended any offense. Consider it forgotten, he replied sheepishly. He appeared genuinely remorseful for having stolen the cakes from a woman so noble as Mama. And I must apologize for my assumptions about you. Clearly you are not like the nasty humans I have encountered in the past. I was wrong to judge and treat you so. Now it was Pip's turn to speak. His empty stomach rumbled as he cried out, Can we eat him? Can we eat him? I didn't hate the suggestion. It had been a long afternoon. Wait one more minute, Pippi, said Mama, and she addressed the goblin again. Gergen, could I ask a favor? He bowed politely. Anything, if I am able. I was wondering if you could make those cakes disappear again. But this time, too, my cottage. I would hate to make my boys carry them all the way back. Gergen grinned. His eyes twinkled with a playful gleam as he said, Kind lady, I'll do you one better than that. Then he snapped his fingers, and everything disappeared into an immediate, crushing darkness. <laughs>